people I know and some people I don't. And it's true for this side too. <laughs> Today is a great day. It's a very auspicious day. As the Tibetans would say. Today is a day for love. Today is a day that last night um, the state of New York voted to accept the marriages of people who are um, attracted to people of the same sex and made that um, taxable. <laughs> <laughs> So many people are very happy. <laughs> it's very nice. I'm happy too. Um, when I was walking here, though, in the morning, I stopped at a, um, uh, in Spanish, I think you call it a bodega, bodega. <laughs> <laughs> where there was a man looking at the paper in the paper this morning. The headline on this morning's paper was history. And the man picked it up and said, history, threw it back down. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I vote for love. You know, can you imagine actually having the chance to vote for love? I vote for love. So I vote for him to be included. He has to be included. Love includes everything. Our um, community, the style of practice in our community is that we offer community and we offer forms and we offer study, we offer a teacher, but most importantly we offer meditation and mindfulness. Our way is very simple, really. It's not complicated, but it's, it's difficult. Our, you can say, in a way, our way is a way of love. Our way is to meet each thing, each person, each event as ourselves, really. Is to be that intimate with life. So everything is included. There's not fighting with yourself. There's no struggle with yourself. 
Although, um, I must say that until we feel that way, of course there is. <laughs> but that is our way. Our way is to is full attention on each activity because each activity, each activity is what we are, including this and my glasses and the chair when you push it back after you eat and so on and so forth. <laughs> so a different kind of definition of love might be openness. Just open, being open as much as you can and knowing or feeling that sense of connectedness. In fact, metta practice that the Theravadans do that we can also do, it's a very good thing, um, is not so much about generating the feeling of love as, as we imagine it in um, rock and roll and so on, but rather generating a feeling of connectedness feeling of one, oneness. Okay. So, you know, our, um, what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks is relationship, and we can talk about it from both points of view, from the point of view of struggle inside and um, resistance and so on and so forth, or we can talk about it, and we can talk about it from the point of view of connectedness. And I hope you do both. We're going to be discussing from uh, the chapter in the book, Everyday Zen, written by Joko Peck. And there are Xeroxes, so I hope you all brought your Xeroxes. Joko Beck was um, an extraordinary teacher. Um, she, I was going to say unfortunately, but actually she was 94 and lived a very rich life, so she's supposed to die. Mm -hmm. you know. It's unfortunate that we've lost a fabulous teacher, but everybody has to take their turn, right? We all have to say thank you very much, and it's like, uh, you know um, the note that um, Virginia Woolf left to Leonard? when she died. Oh my God, what a writer. She said, um, she said, to know life, to really know, I'm not, I'm totally paraphrasing, I don't remember it exactly. Something like, to know life, to really know life, and then to be able to put it away when it's time. We understand. <laughs> And then she said, but something about their love, she said, um, but, but always the, do you, does anybody remember this part? The hours. Well, yeah, that's after the other thing she said. Mm -hmm. Anyway, at the end she says, and always the hours, always the time that they spend together. It's wonderful. Difficult relationship. But I won't go into that. I'm talking about Joe Fugger. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, she was a terrific, terrific teacher, and she um, had tremendous clarity and a sharpness to her teaching. She didn't abide. She didn't abide any fooling around. She was very clear. She made her um, Zen center 
non-residential. She didn't want to have people come and be dependent on her or a community. She was really clear about that. And um, she was really clear about that. <laughs> Thank you. And she, um, she, she, she supported people to be their most authentic self, to, to, to um, stand up in their own power. She was a terrific teacher. She would, one of the things she did when I was sitting a session with her one time, we all, you know when you go to a session as a retreat, sitting retreat for five or seven days or longer even, and when you come in, you know, you have your little cushion and all of your little accoutrements, and you go and you find your spot, right? And you look around, it takes a little minute or two, you know, I like to be at the end, because I kind of, I'm a little claustrophobic and I like my space. So I look to be at the end and I like, you know, make sure things around me are just right, and I'm like, okay. And boom, that's my spot, and I'm going to sit there. I'm committed to my spot, my spot. And that's great, you know. The days went on, so and so forth. And then about halfway through the session, she came in to the room where I was sitting. Everybody, she did this to all the rooms. She came in. She said, "Okay, everybody, get up." And so we did. And so, so you know, okay, stand up. What? Standing meditation or walking meditation or something, probably. And she said, no, pick up all of your stuff and move to a different spot, different seat. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> all your ideas, you know, all of the safety, all of the, you know, what you got used to, everything just right. She just threw it up in the air and we moved. It's great teaching. Change. She um, put out these four phrases that I think are one of the best summaries of practice anywhere. And I'll read them to you. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thought exactly the dream. This moment, just as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Just say that over and over and over to yourself. That's a teaching for the rest of your life, my life. Anyway, she had a really great life. I think she had four kids. She was an accomplished pianist. She lived a very rich life, and she led many people from darkness to light. And I thank her. She was good. She set up the first American-style center. She, she had forms, lots of forms, but they didn't look Japanese. She had a wonderful vision. So the first line in the ch chapter that we're paying attention to, the chapter is called Relationship. The first line of that, the first essay in that chapter says, 
every moment is relationship. There is nothing except relationship. And in this quote, we have an expression of truth that is already here. We are deeply, deeply connected. We are deeply connected. We are, we are made by everything. There's no way that I would be here talking to myself like this unless you were here. So you're making me now. And I'm participating in making us together. We're connected. And in fact, we're living one life. Even more than connected, we are one life. We're not like these separate things, being connected like touching. We're actually living one whole life. We're one being together. And when the mind quiets, when the mind really quiets, when there's silence or stillness in the mind, when the mind's not moving and it settles in the heart, it expresses itself as love. As love. Love of itself. Right? It's loving, manifesting. What we think of as things are manifesting out of this silence. So when love comes up out of the silence, it's actually appreciating itself. Every, what we think of as things. A friend of mine, um, when she was a young student at San Francisco Zen Center, she um, went to the lecture after which there was questions and answers, questions and responses. And the lecturer at that time was a man named Coven Chino Roshi, who was an amazing master. He was like a cloud. You can kind of you never you couldn't get a couldn't get a hold of him in some way. He's a great teacher. Um, anyway, he was giving the lecture, and, she, and the lecture kind of gets up and moves into the dining room where where questions and responses happen. And she was a new student, and so she didn't have any fear of anyone thinking that she knew or didn't know anything. So she asked the question, and she asked, she kept hearing this word dharma all the time. And she didn't know what the word meant, so she says, she asked him, what is dharma? And he, at first everybody kind of giggled. <laughs> that won't happen here. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, he waited for a moment and then she said, this is her story, she told me this the other night, she picked, he picked up a teapot, held up a teapot and said, this is the Dharma. And she didn't understand exactly what she meant, what he meant, but she got some, felt something, she felt something. And she always forgets, she never forgot that story. She told it to me the other night, and then she explained it to me, and she said what she felt when he said that was that love connects everything. I think she felt from him love. That's what I think. And she just plumped it onto the teapot. Hmm. 
So she said last night, holding everything together is love. And we're not talking here about the kind of love that usually we hear people talking about, like possessive love you know, or um, romantic love. We're basically talking about openness. Openness, a willingness to meet each situation open, vulnerable, not knowing what's going to happen. Actually, that's my effort. That's, ever, that's our effort. I keep trying over and over again. You know, pulling back a little. I need space, so I pull back. <laughs> I need some space sometimes. But then I try to really meet the next whatever it is over and over and over again. But it's not easy. It's not easy because of our mental chattering mind, the activity in the mind. It's not easy because we think that we can actually, this is really hilarious, we think that we can actually create a safe space for ourselves that's going to be happy. And, and the reason is we think we're separate, right? And so it's perfectly reasonable. We think we're separate and that what we try to do is build safety around ourselves. Safety, comfort, and happiness. So we grab toward us whatever we think is going to make us happy. We grab bricks for the wall. We grab people, you know, of people we think are uh, we think are going to make us happy. You know, <laughs> we think we love them. You know, but <laughs> and we do. We do. <laughs> but we want them to make us happy. If they stop making us happy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, only <Apparently>, maybe. <laughs> and so the energy that comes from trying to build that safe, comfortable, happy space, that energy which takes a ton of energy is, comes from the sense of lack that we have. And so we start searching. We start searching for the right person, the right ice cream, the right job, the right you know, environment. And we try to get all of our little pieces together in the right place. And of course it doesn't happen. Everything changes all the time. So we have all these bricks kind of set up on the wall and then something changes from the foundation and suddenly this wall is crumbling and oh my God, and then we race around frantically trying to rebuild that wall. It doesn't work. It's exhausting. <laughs> and we're afraid to stop. Fear, we're really afraid to stop. We're afraid that we won't be taken care of. You know, we're afraid that we won't be happy. And we're all looking, not everybody, but excuse me for generalizing, but we have a tendency to look out there 
for it, whatever it is that we're searching for, including awakening and, you know, spiritual whatevers. We're searching, grabbing, grasping. It's exhausting. So Jokobek starts her discussion of relationships with this whole question about search. I thought that was brilliant, you know? So let's open to where she starts. Let's take a peek and see if you guys have some thing to say. I hope you read it. And we'll see what she says. I think she has some really good things to say. So did any of this, the first essay, let's do the first essay first, the search. Did anything in the search essay pop out at you? Anything you think is important? Anything you would like to share? Anything that you would like to give us an example from your life about what she's talking about? Or even why do you think she puts searching as the first thing under relationships? Any thoughts? Yes. Can you say your name to everybody first? Yeah, I'm Yeshua. Hi. 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 Um, well, I thought that one of the things that I am searching for is to be able to deal with people who make me angry. Mm-hmm. That's intense. <laughs> so, I could use the other word, but. Uh, um, so, my question is I mean, I, I don't have the, I don't have a good grasp of it, but what I'm wondering is should I do that? Should I stop doing that? If I should do it, then how should I do it? If I should not do it, then with anger or or people who or your search yeah the search to search to be you know search like I, I'm searching for that quality that will make me tolerate other people anybody when they, when they do crazy things when they when they do crazy things <laughs> <laughs> anybody have a response anybody want to respond find to be a good opportunity to practice with uh, mind's reactivity when people are doing things that trigger me to pay attention to how the mind reacts because that's all that there really is for me to do other than, uh, I mean I think that's the ultimate thing for me is to pay attention to how, how the mind is triggered by people's crazy making and perhaps trying to find peace inside so that you can 
have space for yourself and space for them. Thank you. That Heather? That was Heather? Oh, sorry. Not really. It's not Heather. Anybody else? Or anybody else have something that they found in the text? Jared? Name, name. Anything else from this chapter, or should we move it? Susan? I mean, your name, please. Sue. Sue. Um, it's actually one of the things I asked her is on page 81. Page 81. about anger. 81, wait a minute, 81. OK, turn to 81. She says if we really experience anger, we, we won't act out on something. If we believe our angry thoughts, we might hurt somebody. But pure experience has no verbal component, so there would be nothing to do. Your anger is very quiet, and you would never hurt anyone with it. Practice doesn't mean in the middle of a fight with someone to stop and say, I'm going to experience this. The more mature our practice, the more we can do that naturally as the anger rises. But most people, when they get angry, act out of their thoughts. And so they nearly always have to return later and go into the experience of upset because they're not skilled enough to do that at the time they feel threatened. Thank you, Sue. I love doing this with you guys because you guys always come out with uh, what, what needs to be brought out. It's fabulous. I love it. Anything else? Yes, name? Terrence. Um, I think what, what there's a, a lot of things that jumped out at me in here, but what jumped out at me. Can you speak louder, Terrence, because we're being recorded? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what really jumped out at me actually when I reread it this morning uh, was the, um, the end of the page 81, uh, where Joko says, um, we can talk a blue streak after a while, which is one reason why so-called advanced students are always the difficult ones. They think they know and they don't know. They're just talking. Where's that? Oh, the bottom, right there. I see. The okay. Of 81. And, uh, and, you know, I've, I've been to, um, I guess I've been to the, the group, the, the discussion groups that have been offered here uh -huh. over like the past three years. And, uh, and I tend to do the re reading quite um, you know, religiously, you could say. And, um, and you know, I, I have like a mind that can remember stuff. So during the talks, I, I talk a lot, you know, and I feel like I understand what I'm talking mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but really, you know, when I get down
down to it, it's just it's just talking. Mm. And so I'm I'm actually just building another house out of what I think I understand, which is just it's just words. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that. I just want to explain to the people who might be listening. <laughs> Terrence um, is a, I'm shy about having things recorded, and Terrence is a recording person, so we had this talk earlier today, and I was saying something about how, um, with you, and then when I started talking with Greg, I said, what did I say, something about words is not it or something? It's just words or Just words, and then you said both and, right? So I just want to mention, because it's true what you say, absolutely, and it's very much how I feel, and, and yet we have to, like Katagiri said, we have to say something. So it's interesting, this interesting balance between, um, what can we say, uh, silence, which is the truth, just being and, and feeling something about that, and, and also having to say something about it sometimes. Hey, there's always this play of form and emptiness. We have to understand how to live in the world of diversity, which is a good word to use today, right? in the diversity, and yet um, not be caught by it. Right? Know there's something deeper, that diversity is the manifestation of this whole one life. So it's a, it's a wonderful edge to, to work with, always. Glad you brought it up. Let's go to the next chapter because we only have a few minutes and she says some fabulous things in the next chapter as well. It's called Practicing with Relationships. Anybody, anything pop out for you in that one? Liberty, or was it um, the other young person? The story that you told me about her walk. Lakiata. Actually, Lauren knows this story, but I'll say it to, to um, others. So, Lakiata is one of the interns that works here in the mindfulness internship. Not long after she had been sitting, only a couple of weeks actually, uh, and she was. She took up as a mindfulness practice 
because we had given, as homework, setting a period of time to be mindful of everything. And in New York, an easy period of time is the length of the city block. So short enough, but long enough. So she was doing that. Um, and uh, she noticed, she came back, and her report on it was that when she was actually deeply mindful of everything that was going on, everything was happening around her. Um, but it wasn't touching her in some way. So she was in the city, but it was as if the city was just moving through her and it wasn't bothering her. She said it doesn't last that long, and that can be true, but, um, but she did have a taste of that. Yeah. Great. Great. Hey, anything else from this chapter? Yes, y your name? Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. Um, the thing that kind of really blew me away was when she said that uh, Can you tell us the page? Oh, yes. Uh, 89. The top of 89. Uh, when she said that, you're, that uh, relationships second to formal sitting are the best mirrors of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, because basically we're constantly screwing up. <laughs> just like in sitting. And therefore, we can see that we're doing that, and we can learn. Mm -hmm. And so that was pretty amazing. Um, I, I'm in a relationship right now that's been rocky. Mm -hmm. Unusual. Great example. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it, it's sad. It, not just sad. I mean, it really is true. In in our way, in the Zen tradition, um, we do. It's basically it's based on monastic. It's a monastic tradition. So, what happens at, at a monastery, as I've said a number of times before, is that you have all these different people, and then you have a container. And in the morning, you do a lot of sitting. You sit hours in the morning with service and a break and breakfast and study. But all of this is done in silence until 12 o'clock. Um, and then at 12 o'clock, well, I think we have lunch at 12. And then there, anyway, there's a break after 12 o'clock. And then there's work circle. And then we work together for three hours. And that actually is, is fodder for for what you bring back to the cushion because you know you're all calm and you've really settled and everything is wonderful um, sometimes when you sit for all of that length of time but then as soon as you stand up and you start talking with other people and interacting with other people all your stuff starts coming up and your mind goes all over the place of course and then you take that edge of wherever it is that you saw you got caught you take that back to the cushion and then you sit after work, um, you sit again in, in the late afternoon and evening, a lot of sitting, because it takes a lot of time to really look to see what has just happened in your mind. And I love that 
setup because it's actually the easiest way to do this. It's much more difficult for you guys in lay practice because you don't have that kind of container. But Sangha can be that kind of container. It's the reason we're here. First of all, to offer you sitting, 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 most important thing. But then the other thing is to have a group of people who are consciously, their intention is to look this way. This is what we keep saying over and over again. When you get caught, look this way where you're caught. And we, then we try to hold that as a container. So in Sangha, these things are going to come up. But we don't leave. Like in the city, well, may, but there are also two other places in the city for lay people to do this. One is at work, which you're not just going to pick up and leave your work. So you have to figure out from your side what's going on when something triggers you at your workplace. It's your responsibility. And the other place is in relationship. So in, as a lay practice, these are the two places where the container is really tight. And these are the places where things come up for you. Con relationship, work, and sangha. Three, these three places. Sangha, presumably, safest. Because presumably, the other people who are here are also looking this way. I'm going to just say this over and over and over and over until you get sick of it. But, uh, you know, when something happens between you and somebody else in the Sangha, look toward yourself first before you tell me what, you know, the problems with this other person. So, so as, as, as lay practice, those are the three places that will support you in your trying to figure out where you're building an ego self and where you're maintaining this sense of separation. And that's what we keep trying to clarify and then let go of. Until, for, at first at a really gross level, but then more and more and more subtle. That's our practice. And that's the end of the talk. So, um, I, I, w there's a lot of other stuff in this next one as well, so hopefully Tuesday night we'll include this in our discussion. Maybe I won't talk as much, and we can just dive into her stuff. And then also, I told you the next two chapters also. So why don't you read the one, um, review the one today, and then the next two, and then we could just have maybe a discussion what comes up for you around it, um, looking this way. Okay. Okay. So don't forget. Don't really don't forget. Wait. wait, wait don't, what I want you to not forget is. I want you to not forget that today is an auspicious day for love. And see if you can practice with, just keep it, as a, keep it in mind. And see if you can just love everything, no matter what. Just for one day. <laughs> <laughs> or just until you, have to, until you forget. But let's try. You know, let's try. Let's try to see if you can really meet, just connect. Just see if you can just meet each situation with openness, some vulnerability, some authenticness. Bring your bring yourself and meet yourself. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, 
please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.